Yeah, I, I joke that, uh, you know, even after being at Microsoft for 15 years, I still wait for them to figure out that I don't know what I'm doing and say, well, <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> so I, don't, I don't know that that ever really goes away. It definitely plagued me uh, in my early years of, you know, being in, a, you know, a server admin, uh, particularly when I got that Exchange 5.5 admin job. I mean, I had the certification and I knew my way around Exchange, but, you know, I hadn't done, you know, hardly any, you know, troubleshooting or anything like that. So, uh but I, I guess I guess the benefit was that, you know, I, I did have some, you know, I did have a senior guy that was on the team. And so, you know, he was kind of mentoring me along the way. But, you know, you just I just got in there and I was like, you know, if somebody called me up and said, hey, you know, we've got this Outlook client and it's, it's you know, they're not getting mail and we're trying to figure out what's going on. And I'm like, you know, I checked the server. I checked, you know, their 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 account. And, you know, is it all good? It's like, it's all good. It's like, OK, well, I don't have an answer for you at the moment. So let me go do a little bit of research and then I'll come back to you. And so, you know, I. I just I didn't try to BS my way through it. I just said, hey, I don't know the answer, but I can get you an answer. So and then I would go back and I would figure it out and I would get them the answer. And, you know, you do that 100 times and you learn a lot of stuff. Are no rules. No rules. You're listening to Degree Free on the Degree Free Network, where we talk about how to teach yourself, get work and make money. No degree needed. Here are your hosts, Ryan and Hannah Maruyama. Maruyama. Aloha, folks, and welcome back to Degree Free, where we teach you how to get the work you want without a college degree. I'm your host, Ryan Maruyama. Now, before we get into today's episode, I did have a couple of asks for you. One, one of the biggest things that we hear is how people don't have a network. So if you have LinkedIn and you're trying to network, follow and connect with me. Just go to LinkedIn and search for Ryan Maruyama. Ryan, M-A-R-U-Y-A-M-A. Two, if you'd like to get a short email every week that has different degree-free jobs, degree-free companies, and tips and tricks to get you hired without a college degree, then go to degreefree.co slash newsletter and sign up. Now, today's guest is Jerry Condra, Support Engineering Manager at Microsoft. This is a great conversation where we got to peek behind the curtain of a multi-billion dollar corporation. Jerry's been there for 15 years, so he knows what's going on. We talk about how to get into IT and some of the biggest weaknesses that he sees in people that are coming up today. This episode has something for everybody. If you want to say hi to Jerry, you can find him on LinkedIn. Links to where you can find him and everything else that we talk about in the episode will be at degreefree.co slash Jerry Condra. And without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Jerry Condra. Aloha, folks, and welcome back to Degree Free. I am super excited to have today's guest on, Jerry Condra. Jerry, thank you so much for making the time. Absolutely. Happy to be here. I think it's very cool to just uh, be invited. So thank you. <laughs> Jerry, I wanted to start kind of at the present and kind of going over what it is that you do and the company that you work for. If you could just give us a little bit of your background, that would be great. Yeah, so for the last nearly 15 years, uh, I've, I've been working for Microsoft. Started out as a, what we called back in the day, called a premier field engineer, working in the world of Exchange, Outlook, all that sort of stuff. So, uh, you know, I've, I've wore many hats before that, but Exchange was kind of my bread and butter coming into Microsoft. After doing that for a few years, I moved into something, a role called technical account management. Basically, that was delivering against contracts that customers had purchased through Microsoft. So I managed, uh, you know, consumption of contracts, optimization, troubleshooting, all those types of things for, for various customers. A lot of that time was spe specifically within the Department of Defense. So I spent a lot of time working with uh, those folks. And then about three years ago, I decided I wanted to get into people management and uh, you know kind of explore that side of the business. So for the last three years, I've been a people manager. So I've managed teams anywhere from 
30 to 35 consultants, engineers down to currently I'm managing about 11 engineers, a team of, of 11 engineers. And, uh, you know, just addressing customer needs, you know, helping customers restore service or optimize or get to the next iteration of whatever technology they're on, just provide that ongoing support and uh, help them realize their solutions and objectives and things like that. So that's pretty much for the last 15 years what I've been doing. When you say people manager, what is that opposed to? Whereas that's rather being like a fingers on keyboard manager? Yeah, it could be. Yeah. So we say people manager because you're you're responsible from an HR perspective for a team of individual contributors. There's also a business aspect of it, but uh, you could be a manager of, of a program and not necessarily be managing people. So it, at least within Microsoft, we call it being a people manager where you're managing individual contributors, uh, but you also work within the business. You know, you, you're working on moving the business forward, whatever that may be for the business. So uh, there's kind of two parts to it, but my primary my primary role is uh, taking care of and supporting and being there for the folks on my team. Going from people manager and being a manager of a product, like in your current role, like how much technical skills are you using? From what it sounds like, it sounds like you used to be in a much more technical role, like hands-on when yep. you were doing exchange at the, at the very beginning. Yep. But now it kind of seems like, with the people management, it's kind of all soft skills and kind of just, as you said, removing roadblocks for them. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it varies. I mean, you know, some of the guys that I work with are still, you know, super technical guys. They could, they could jump into a case and, you know, just start working with a customer troubleshooting and things like that. Personally, I, I haven't been on a server console or user interface for probably almost 10 years. <laughs> so uh, what, what, what my technical background allows me to do is, have a conversation with people and understand what they're saying, where they're going, you know, what that means. It's like, okay, I, you know, I may not be able to get into the weeds with you, but I can, you know, understand what you're telling me and, you know, uh, kind of help go from there. What made you want to make the change to a people manager? What was the impetus of that? Well, I had done the account management thing for a long time. So I really understood that part of the business. And, you know, I just was looking for, you know, another aspect of the business to kind of work in. And, uh, you know, I really started doing a lot of, you know, probably five years ago, I really started doing a lot of reading and personal development, professional development, leadership stuff. And uh, I kind of realized that at this stage of my career, that was the next logical step for me was to kind of go that route. And, uh, you know, so I had already had a lot of experience around working with individual contributors. I didn't manage them necessarily, but, you know, I had to work with them on the contracts that I, I had for my customers. And, uh, you know, I, I felt like it, it was a good fit for me. And so it was just sort of me. It's kind of a natural progression. One of the one of the things I've noticed in my career is about every five years, I start thinking about, OK, where's where am I going next? You know, what's the next role for me? And that's you know, that's that's just how I've kind of gone through my career. Just to give some definitions for the people listening. Could we define what individual contributors? Yeah. So if you're an individual contributor, that means you don't have anybody reporting to you. You're just, uh, you know, worker bee is not the right word because the people that I work with are not just worker bees. They're extremely talented people that, that do their job. So but, you know, an individual contributor is somebody that, you know, is working in the business, is working on solutions and outcomes and things like that for customers. They're the ones that are putting hands on keyboards and things like that for the most part. So, uh, you know, when, when you talk about individual contributors, it's not a manager. So that's basically what it looks like. 
Excellent. You kind of said five years ago that you started to look at professional development more seriously. What were you doing? You said you were reading, but what books were you reading? What resources? So I started with John Maxwell. I'm sure, you know, your listeners and many other people are very familiar with John Maxwell. He's one of the uh, foremost uh, leadership guys out there. So I just started reading a lot of his books and, uh, you know, listening to podcasts and things like that, that uh, I was introduced to other books and uh, other speakers and things like that. So I just kind of expanded from there. But, uh, you know, I, I was constantly reading and trying to understand myself better and understand, you know, how to you know develop those soft skills that are that are needed for leadership. And, uh, you know, it was just it, it was just something that I wanted to be able to understand. So. Uh, that's where I where I started. I kind of wanted to talk about your stint at Microsoft so far. One of the reasons why I was really excited to have this conversation is because, as you said, you've been at Microsoft for 15 years now. And in a day and age where so many people are kind of like going from job to job and, you know, I'll take responsibility for some of that. We tell people one of the best ways to get like a pay raise and everything like that is to every few years. Yep one to two years, take that, take that leap, go get that pay raise somewhere else, go get that title raise somewhere else, and then take that somewhere else next time. What are the advantages of staying at Microsoft for 15 years? And then on the flip side of that, what are some of the disadvantages? Yeah. So I think, you know, working at Microsoft for 15 years, I mean, it's, it's been an amazing ride for me. I, you know, as an IT guy, at least for me, you know, Microsoft was sort of the pinnacle. You know, if you get to Microsoft, it's like getting to the NBA or the NFL or something like that as an IT guy. So, you know, it's not perfect, but, uh, you know, I've been able to, to work with some amazing people. And I, I think, you know, in terms of just the job hopping and things like that, that's never been something I've liked to do. I mean, you're absolutely right. You know, you people bounce around and they, you know, get 20, 30 percent increases and stuff like that. I've always been the type of person that liked to, you know, come into a position, grow in the position, you know, work with the uh, work with you know, the teams and other leaders and just kind of branch out from there and just kind of grow and build that foundation. Maybe it's a fault. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, for me, it, it's worked best for me in my career to go into a role, kind of, you know, grow and, and just kind of stay there and contribute long term. I think uh, part of the benefit of, of staying long term is you get to really see the vision that, the, you know, that that particular company has and, uh, you know, be, have impact towards that vision and, uh, you know, just be a, a key part of that growth. You know, I think job hopping doesn't always give you that. I guess it depends on the role that you're in, but, uh, job hopping doesn't always give you that ability. You know, definitely some of the benefits of job hopping are, like you said, um, you know, increasing your, increasing your income, you know, you definitely expose yourself to a whole different network, you know, getting to learn, you know, learn about new people and new ways of doing business, new, you know, just, uh, if you go from Microsoft to Amazon, you know, it's going to be a completely different uh, experience. Before Microsoft, I was at HP um, and it was kind of the same there. I just, you know, went in there and wanted to grow. And then Microsoft came along and I was like, man, I'll retire from here if they'll let me. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was actually a perfect segue because I was going to uh, ask you next is, do you plan on staying there until retirement? Yes, to some degree. Um, I, I do have a little side business for coaching. And for, you know, coaching business folks and uh, life coaching, business coaching, that type of thing. Ideally, you know, when I turn 60, uh, I, I would love to be these days. These days, I would love to walk away from corporate because corporate after you've been in corporate for a long time, there's just some things that are, you know, particularly today, it, it's changing so much that so uh, unpredictable 
particularly, you know, if you're watching the news today, <laughs> there's so much going on, you know, with our, you know, with our economy. Uh, you know, I want to be able to have something that that's mine, something that I can fall back on. And so I'm building, I'm building that side business and, uh, you know, somewhere down the road, uh, you know, I'm 50, almost 57. So it's not like I got a long ways to go. Uh, but at somewhere around 60, I, I could see myself tapping out of corporate and uh, doing the coaching thing full time, speaking and that type of thing. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, do you, are you actively taking clients right, right now for your coach, for your coaching? I do. Perfect. Yeah. Give yourself a plug. Where can people uh, learn more about uh, your coaching? Well, you can't, I, I don't actually have a website. Um, that's, you know, because it is just a fledgling business right now. Um, so, you know, I'm on LinkedIn. You can certainly catch me on LinkedIn and reach out to me if you wanted to. Um, because I do work, you know, uh, 40, 50 hours a week. Um, I don't carry a full load of, of, uh, clients, but I do have two or three at the moment. Awesome. One of the things that I did want to ask you, and you don't have to answer within yourself or you don't have to answer the question at all if you don't want to, but we were talking about raises and switching around from company to company, just specifically speaking from Microsoft, you've been there for a long time. How is Microsoft with giving raises? Uh, you know, when when in the same role, like typically when I was working in corporate America, like I worked for a public regional bank, and they would give you know the typical two to three percent inflation raise yeah. raise every year if you didn't move up, like if you didn't. Yeah. But even when you did move up, the raises were not very big like you would i would literally see a listing for uh like an external listing for a job that say let's just say it was sixty thousand dollars but if you were internal and you were making 30 they would only get you to like 45 or 50 which mm -hmm. is kind of insanity to me yeah. but I, a lot of people have the dream of working in tech and working for these big companies but they they never get to see how the inner workings of like how the pay actually works. Yeah. And so I was wondering if you could shed some light on that. Yeah. You know, you know, having uh, moved into the people manager role, I, I do get direct exposure to that. And so it was a little bit eye opening uh, when I went into that, came into this role, you know, for the last uh, few years that I've been in it, the, you're right. The raises have been pretty minimal two, 3%, you know, that right around there. Now where Microsoft uh, does reward people is around, around stock options, around stock and bonuses. So you can do really well with stocks and bonuses. So, just kind of give you a range, you know, if you're a consultant or, you know, even a manager or something like that, you know, your, your bonus could be 20% of your base eligible salary. So you could, you know, you could see someone coming in with a bonus of twenty, thirty thousand um, $30,000 and then stock, you know, you could get, uh, you know, you could get 25, 30, $40,000 worth of stock and uh, that vests every 90 days. So, uh, you know, it's, and, and that's that, and that's where Microsoft has really focused its uh, uh, rewards is around bonuses and stock, not so much the uh, the pay. I will say in this last year, though, Microsoft did up the compensation from a raise perspective. And we saw definitely better, better raises uh, this last year. Um, so hopefully that continues. So we'll see. <laughs> you know, there's a really important aspect that I kind of just wanted to pick here for people's personal financial like aspect for their lives, it can really matter where you choose to work. And what I mean by that is like for you, 15 years of working at Microsoft. And then also if you were getting, you know, uh, stock or options, you know, stock options for the entire time, you know, that could be a considerable amount if you pick the right horse, right? Like, so a lot of people will say, oh, I'm going to go to this startup because they're going to pay me, mm -hmm. you know, a hundred thousand dollars. 
and right now I'm getting paid sixty thousand dollars with yeah. like a twenty thousand dollar bonus or a twenty thousand dollar stock option package. If you pick the right horse and you stick with it, there's the opportunity of a very large payoff. Whereas the cash when you go to startups, most startups fail, right? I mean, it's just a statistic that yeah. every two year or a startup doesn't make it to two years. Most 50, 60% fail before they reach two years. And so that's something that I think a lot of people listening have to take into consideration when thinking about where they're going to move in their career. Yeah, I think it, it, it kind of comes down to what is your appetite for risk? Uh, you know, what's your risk profile, you know, uh, and I think that may be why I stick around uh, with, uh, you know, the same companies for a long time is because my appetite for risk is not as great as, as, as others. You know, they're, they're willing to step out and go, you know what, I this may I may flop, but, you know, I'm going to go and try and see what happens with this startup. You know, I've seen people do that. You know, I'm a, I'm a pretty conservative guy when it comes to risk taking, <laughs> even in my investing and things like that. Uh, you know, so that's that's just kind of my, my profile. I kind of wanted to go way back. Okay. I was doing doing some research and looking at your LinkedIn. I saw that you were in the military at one point. I was, yeah. And from what it says on your LinkedIn is you got out of the army in 89. And then there's about an 11 year gap where your next job listed is a sys admin at SRA. And I wanted to know, what did you do in the 10 oh. years after the military? Oh, gosh, uh, lots of things. Um Let's see. I worked after I got out of the military. I spent uh, probably about eight years working for Walmart. Believe it or not, I was I wanted to go into you know management. And this is back in the day when Walmart was uh, you know Monday through Saturday, closed on Sundays. You know it was open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. So it was kind of a good gig. You know, but as I the longer I stayed there and you know kind of made, you know that, this was another area where I went in as a stock clerk guy. You know, I just wanted to go in and let me just learn from the ground up. And then you know as some eventually I'll get to a point where. I can go into a manager program, manager training program. You didn't have to have a degree. So I did that for a long time, went through all sorts of different positions within the within the within the store. And they did eventually ask me if I wanted to go into the manager training program. But by then, you know, their the hours that managers were working was just ridiculous. And I was like, no, no I'm doing something different. <laughs> so. So, and so I got out of there. I started working for a hotel, uh, worked for a hotel as a, as a manager for a few years, eh, probably a couple of years. And then uh, around that time is probably when I got introduced to IT, because this would have been around the mid 90s, roughly. So I got a job pulling cable uh, here in San Antonio. If you're familiar with the San Antonio area, well, maybe you're not, but Seguin is about 45 miles up the road. And I uh, got a job pulling cable at uh, what was Motorola at the time, it, Motorola plant out there. It's, it's not the Motorola plant anymore. But uh, so I, I worked out there for about a year pulling cable. And that's where I actually uh, was introduced to sort of the, the world of Microsoft and Novell and some of these other places. I was I was in the I was I was pulling cable in an area where the only air conditioned area was the computer room. It was what we call a fishbowl because it was all all the walls were just glass, you know, so you could see in. And I saw this guy in there and he was standing at this big console and I'm out there sweating my tail off pulling cable. And uh, so I just went in there and said, hey, you know, what are you doing? He says, oh, I'm setting up this uh, Novell network. And I was like, I didn't know what Novell network was at the time. I don't even know if Novell's still around. But, uh, you know, I was in a nice air conditioned area and I was like, this, I want to do this. <laughs> and so uh, I started kind of looking into that a little bit. And uh, that led me to. Uh, a boot camp that uh, was uh, for Microsoft certifications 
And then ironically enough, uh, my father-in-law, we went to visit, we went to visit in this right around the time my wife and I got married. And I think it was my first time visiting them up there in Virginia. And he had on his office wall a certification for Microsoft, Microsoft certified, Microsoft certified systems engineer. And I'd been looking into that and I said, hey, what do you think about that? And he says, I think it's a great idea. And so uh, I was like, OK, I'm sold. So I came back to San Antonio and, and uh, there was a school that was open here at the time. And uh, it was eight months of certifications. And, and you know, that uh, that kind of got me into into that world. And so I my my official I.T. career, I would say, launched in ninety uh, nine you know, 1999. So between the time of getting out of the military and getting into that, that schooling, uh, there was just odd jobs, you know, Walmart. And then I worked uh, doing the pulling the cable. I worked at a furniture store. So just a bunch of odd jobs like that, you know, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And, you know, when, when I was in my late twenties, early thirties. <laughs> See, that's amazing because the reason why I ask about that specific time is that a lot of people that listen to this podcast, they're in that time of their life right now. Yeah. They're making that transition. And it's just so helpful to have people like yourself that have been there, right? And as you said, you know, stocking shelves at Walmart, right? And sweating, pulling cable and seeing something that you want, not sure how to get it, but then figure out how to do it, come up with a plan and then execute that plan. Yep. And I think that is the most important thing that we could do is just basically just highlighting what you've done and how to get there. With the certification that you got, was it a full-time thing or were you still working pulling cable? Oh yeah. No, I was still working. So I was working a full-time job and I went to school, I uh, went to the school two nights a week and then uh, every other Saturday for eight hours. So, you know, two nights a week, I was at the school from six to 10, you know, so I went in there after work and, you know, did the class from six to 10. And then, you know, you had, of course, you had to do your studying and things like that, preparing for the certifications as they came along. And then uh, those long days on Saturdays uh, went eight months with a whole lot of Saturdays that I didn't get to have. <laughs> but, you know, you just, those are the things that you do. And I was fired up about it. I, I was, I was like, man, this is awesome. I'm going to, I'm going to get to use this. You know, I finally have clarity on where I want to go and what I want to do. So that was, that was nice. After that, you got that certification and you were like looking for jobs. What did that job search look like? Because from my understanding, you had never done it before, but now you have this certification. Was it just like uh, hallelujah and the doors just opened up for you as soon as you put in uh, your applications? Were people knocking on your door to get in? What did that look like? No, not quite. Um, so there was a little bit of a road <laughs> trip there where I landed a job. I, I can't remember how I came across this job. It was, I can't remember where it was, if it was an ad or something like that. Cause this was, this is in the, you know, the late nineties. So we didn't have much of the internet. We had the internet, but it was nothing like it is today. And so I got a job setting up computers in the local school systems here in San Antonio. And so I did that for probably close to a year setting up, you know, just going to school by school setting, you know, just bringing in all these computers and getting them set up and configured and all that for the network. And then uh, a buddy of mine was in IT. He was a programmer at the time, and he was working for a little contract consulting company that worked primarily on a technology called Tivoli at the time. Don't know if Tivoli's around anymore or not either. But uh, so he was, a, he was a really good friend of mine. And uh, I credit him for getting me that first real job, <laughs> you know, after, after setting up PCs for so long. So I was in this consulting company. And that consulting company was at Fort Sam Houston here in San Antonio. And uh, while I was there, I came across another job. And uh, because during the certification boot camp that I went through, Exchange was one of my certifications. And uh, so Exchange 5.5 at the time. And so 
uh, started, you know, making friends with some of the guys there on in, in the uh, at Fort Sam. And turns out they needed an exchange 55 admin. And I was like, well, I've got a certification. You know, I, I don't have a whole lot of experience, but I got a certification. They said, well, let's interview you. So they interviewed me. I got the job and left that little consulting company and went to uh, Fort Sam and worked as their exchange 55 admin for, uh, gosh, about four years, I guess. And then uh, that led to another another job that, uh, you know, got me closer to HP. And uh, so it was just one little door opening after another, you know, so it was a lot of networking. I, I, I will say that if there's anything you can do out there, it's, it's network with people, you know, particularly in the fields that you're looking to go into, figure out a way to find out who those people are. Maybe you've got a friend, something like that. But that's probably where most of my my jobs have come from is just who you know and who knows you. Absolutely. And that's the most common thread that we've seen with all of our past guests. And the numbers show it, depending on the survey, 40 to 80% of all jobs are filled informally. And that's like through people's network. Yeah. And what it seems like the key piece for everybody is obviously, yes, who you know, but exactly what you just said is like, who knows you? Yes. And what you're doing to further yourself and your goals. Like you had these Microsoft certifications, but you weren't doing that job yet. But when the opportunity was, was there for you, you could say, I'm ready to, I'm ready to take it. I'm ready to jump. I'm ready to jump on it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite quotes uh, by Louis Pasteur is he says, chance favors the prepared mind. And uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta be ready that the opportunities will come. But are you ready for those opportunities? That's what it really comes down to. Exactly. And I wanted to talk about when you were doing the your first role, because you went from getting certified, had never done it before ever, and now you have this role and you're in a completely different environment. How was it when first starting out? One of the things that we see is that there's so much imposter syndrome. One of the things that we tell people is one of the best ways to get in, get your foot in the door is to get a certification if it's right for you. But then everybody's just like, oh, they won't hire me because I don't have any experience. And then if they do get hired, they are absolutely terrified of like messing it up. Yeah. And so there's this imposter syndrome of like, I don't belong here. I, you know, I can barely, you know, I can barely <laughs> type Microsoft. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I joke that, uh, you know, even after being at Microsoft for 15 years, I still wait for them to figure out that I don't know what I'm doing. Say, <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> so I, don't, I don't know that that ever really goes away. It definitely plagued me uh, in my early years of, you know, being in, a, you know, a server admin, uh, particularly when I got that Exchange 55 admin job. I mean, I had the certification and I knew my way around Exchange, but, you know, I hadn't done, you know, hardly any you know, troubleshooting or anything like that. So, uh, but I, I guess, I guess the benefit was that, you know, I, I did have some, you know, I did have a senior guy that was on the team. And so, you know, he was kind of mentoring me along the way, but you know, you just, I just got in there and I was like, you know, if somebody called me up and said, Hey, you know, we've got this outlet client and it's, you know, they're not getting mail and we're trying to figure out what's going on. And I'm like, you know, I checked the server, I checked, you know, their, their, their account and you know, is it all good? It's like, it's all good. It's like, okay, well, I don't have an answer for you at the moment. So let me go do a little bit of research and then I'll come back to you. And so, you know, I, I just, I didn't try to BS my way through it. I just said, Hey, I don't know the answer, but I can get you an answer. So, and then I would go back and I would figure it out and I would get them the answer. And, you know, you do that a hundred times and you learn a lot of stuff. So, you know, you just, yeah, it, it, it's fearful, you know, cause you don't, you're just waiting for them to, for the hammer to drop and for them to let you go. But luckily that never happened. What we've figured is that learning how to find the answer is more important than having the answer because you're going to always going to brush up. If you're always stretching, if you're always 
trying to better yourself, you're always going to run into a situation or a scenario where you don't know the answer. And so you, you have to go and you have to know how to find it, whether, and it could be as simple as knowing the correct person to ask. Yeah. Right. It could be as simple as knowing what to, especially nowadays, like knowing what to type into Google. (laughs) Yeah. Like, absolutely. uh, And, or like, and for like, systems administrators or some stuff like that if you have a big knowledge base or something like that like just knowing how to get that information out of it and then handing that information to the right people to then go make decisions on whatever's going on yeah i think uh, within microsoft that was probably one of the things that i learned right away going into microsoft was that everybody there wants to see you succeed and everybody is you know it's like there's always somebody smarter than you always and so, you know, you find those people and uh, they what I found is that everybody in Microsoft was totally willing to share their knowledge before Microsoft. That wasn't always the case. When I worked with different contract companies, consulting companies, people kind of hoarded their knowledge because it made them indispensable, so to speak. And so they didn't really want to share a whole lot because, you know, if they teach you, well, now there's two people that can do this. Maybe they don't need me because I you know make too much money. So they let me go and let this other guy, you know, keep working because he makes less and but has the same knowledge. But in Microsoft, it's like everybody just wants to teach you to fish. And, uh, you know, so there's always somebody you can reach out to. Now, when I was in my technical role, I mean, gosh, man, even today, the the team that I manage today, they're some of the smartest guys in Microsoft. And uh, they are constantly in teams, you know, asking questions. Hey, what, you know, do you know how to do this? Have you seen that? You know, and these are some super, super smart guys and gals. But, uh, you know, you don't you can't know it all. So you got to be able to just uh, accept that and, you know, let somebody know. Because I, I think what I found is that, you know, clients, if you'll just don't try to BS them, just say, look, I don't have the answer for you, but I've got the entire backing of Microsoft and I will get you the answer that you need. So uh, and, you know, those knowledge bases, you know, we've got an amazing knowledge base in Microsoft. So, yeah, you can definitely dig into that. Yeah, that's something that's really important. And a lot of people, unfortunately, as you were saying, they don't have that within their own company, but you can also foster that within certain professional groups. I mean, as long as you're not giving away like proprietary data or anything like that. But like I've noticed that for myself, since I've switched over to being a full-time entrepreneur, business owner, I'm on an island, right? Like I don't have a company to bounce ideas off of or other people within it. So I had to create a quote unquote network of people that are also doing a very similar thing where we can get together and just spitball ideas and be like, I don't know, is this dumb? And you know, (laughs) (laughs) most of the time they they say yes, which I appreciate them for. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're building community. And uh, you know, that's, that's super important. You know, we're talking about people that are making big transitions into a very new role. Like a lot of people that are listening to this, they are blue collar workers, they're teachers, they're nurses that have an established career, but they kind of exactly experiencing what you did, which they're, they want to get off their feet and they want to go sit in that air conditioned room and sit in front of that computer. Instead, what are some of the weaknesses that you see in newer people in your field. You know, you're a people manager now, and it can be something from hard skills, IT related, engineering related, or it could be something soft skills. People don't know how to communicate. 
Are there any tips for those that are trying to break into your industry? Yes, I would say a couple of things come to mind is when people come into the IT world, their expectations are not accurate. They think they're going to come in and make $300,000 a year and, uh, you know, without a whole lot of experience. And that's just, it's just not, it's just not going to happen. Uh, there are, there are, you know, jobs out there. You look at the software engineering uh, field and things like that. You do, you know, Google and Facebook and or Meta now, whatever they are. And, uh, you know, they, there's definitely some, some jobs like that, but you're not walking out of college into those jobs. Um, so I think expectations are not accurate. You know, they come in and they think, oh, I'm going to make a whole bunch of money and get all these bonuses and, you know, get my Ferrari and all that sort of thing. So I think that's one. And then the, the other big weakness of people breaking into the business is they lack a network, you know? So like we talked about earlier is that you having, having that network of people that you know, and who know you, uh, that can help you get where you want to go. So that, that's a couple of things. And then, uh, particularly in the tech field, you know, for consultants, engineers, things like that, I think you, you know, the hard skills, the tech skills, that's the easy stuff. I mean, you can, you can learn that all day long. Soft skills are hard to learn. And, uh, when, when we're interviewing people, um, you know, we're looking at, you know, less about tech skills and at least as a manager, I'm looking less at the tech skills because the tech guys are doing that analysis. So I'm looking at how does this person present themselves? How does this person, how do they answer questions? How do they, how do they think? How do they, you know, uh, can they think on their feet? Uh, can they just have a conversation and kind of be, feel comfortable? You know, those are, those are, those are things that are hard to, you can learn them. Absolutely. Because I, I did. I mean, I was not like I'm a, I'm a natural being a manager. I had to learn it. Um, but uh, it's it's a harder to, to learn soft skills than it is those tech skills. That is a very common thread for those longtime listeners listening. They're going to be almost sick of it because that is exactly what everybody says. But it's so but it's so true. And one of the things that uh, people have said before, and I've I agree with is that you know, soft skills for most jobs, you know, this is most jobs, not, not really, really technical jobs. Soft skills is like 80% of it. And the 20% you can learn exactly what you said. Like you can learn the vocabulary, you can learn, uh, the jargon. And for a lot of people listening, exact kind of exactly where you're, where you're at now, you can start in a more technical position and then transition your career from there just because you start uh you know being an engineer or being a programmer or even a sysadmin right like you're a systems administrator or you're a database or a data analytics person you can once you get your foot in the door you can move around and that moving around is all soft skills it is absolutely you're absolutely right yeah, I mean, I was, you know, when I first came into Microsoft, you know, first time I had to go in front of customers, I was terrified, you know, so you got to, you got to learn how to do that and be comfortable with it and be comfortable with flopping <laughs> uh, because it's going to happen, you know, you're going to flop. So just expect it. And, and, but that's part of just learning how to kind of manage that and, uh, you know, o overcome it and get better and better. Regarding realistic expectations, I kind of wanted to drill just a little bit deeper there because that was the first time that anybody's answered that. And, I think that I agree with you, but other than just salary expectations, how can people come into the IT world with realistic, like what are some examples other than money, if there are any that are realistic expectations? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, 
it, it, it's not that glamorous. You know, there are some, some cool times being an IT guy whenever you save the day. Um, that's awesome. Uh, but there's a lot of boring, mundane work that you'll do. Um, you know, there's, like I said, there'll be times of excitement, uh, you know, putting out new products and, you know, customers praising you for it, things like that. But there's also the side of it of dealing with, you know, frustrated, angry customers. Um, you know, a lot of times the job is just keeping the lights on, making sure that the system is humming along and clients are able to accomplish their work without issues. So, you know, there's definitely that component of of uh, it's it's not all, you know, it's not it's not rock star status, <laughs> uh, you know, so don't don't come in expecting that. And I think that's I think that's some of the I'll give you an example. One of the guys that was on my team, he was brand new out of college and uh, he, he came came into Microsoft. Super sharp guy, super smart, did great, great work with the customers. Customers loved him. And uh, after about a year, year and a half, he just he's like, you know what? I just don't think this is for me. You know, I, I feel like, you know, there's something else I want to do. And, and he just felt called to something different. And, uh, you know, uh, that that mundane day in, day out, doing a lot of the same things. I think uh, he realized that wasn't for him. And I think that, uh, you know, you you got to you got to think about that. You know, what is it you really want out of the job that you're looking for? What do you what's going to gratify you and satisfy you on a, on a deeper level than just pulling a paycheck? It seems with IT and this is as a lay person, it seems almost mundane is better uh, be just because that means everything's humming along like everything's everything's greased and, and going as it should. And is that, is that accurate? It is. Yeah. To some degree. I mean, there's always going to be, you know, something that's probably going to break or something like that. You know, hotfix comes out and next service pack comes out or whatever, and things get broken. But, uh, you know, I spent uh, the four years that I spent with uh, HP working for a DOD customer, you know, it got boring. You know, you're just like I said, you're keeping the lights on. It's the same old outlook issues, the same, you know, kind of problems. And so it, it would just get kind of boring. Whereas, you know, there are certain roles that you can get into, like a consulting role in Microsoft. Um, you know, you're probably going to work with the two couple of customers at a time. And, you know, you're rolling out new new uh, new technology, deploying new things, learning their environment getting them set up and then closing out that gig and then going on to the next one, which is another customer with a whole different set of problems. And so things are new, th things are fresh. And so, but if you're in an admin type of role, um, you're probably not going to, you're, you're not going to see that as much. So it is going to be more of a mundane type of a, I mean, it's still cool. You're, I mean, if you're, if you're a tech guy, you know, you love being on the console, you love, you know, uh, looking at what's going on with the, with the server, looking at logs and trying to figure out, you know, is it broke? Is there something I need to do? So, you know, I, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, you're digging a ditch because it's nothing like that. But, uh, you know, but it, there is there is some aspect of it that that uh, can be mundane. And for some people, that's great. You know, they're they're fine and happy. And, hey, that's cool. I'll come in, you know, eight to five. Nothing's broke. I get to go home, be with my family. Um, you know, but some people, you know, they want to they want to stay up all night and figure things out. So it just kind of depends on kind of your personality and what you want. It's not often that we get a glimpse into a bigger company like Microsoft. And so one of the things that people are looking for nowadays, like 60% of people that are looking for a job are looking for remote work right now. And so I was wondering in Microsoft, in this large company, how much 
of it is distributed? Is your role distributed? How much of your department is distributed? If you can kind of give us like a, a peek behind the curtain of remote roles. Pre-COVID, let me start with pre-COVID. Pre-COVID, um, I, I, I did have customers and I would be on customer sites. You know, I'd go into like I, one of my customers was here at Fort Sam and I spent most of my time there. I'd be on site probably three days a week. Uh, a couple of days a week, I would I would work from home. Um, you know, it was very very flexible um, pre pre COVID, obviously. Um, and then the consultants, uh, engineers, they were all you know they were there two or three days a week. Um, but you know, going further back than that, whenever I was a field engineer, um, I was pr- I was either I was either on customer site somewhere or I was working from home. I there was there's I've never had an office to go to you know since I've been at Microsoft. Just because of the way it's distributed. Now, if I lived in Dallas at Las Colinas, where we actually have a campus that uh, you know people go to frequently, my manager is there. Um, then I would probably be in there more often. Um, but by and large, um, you know, in the organizations that I've been in, um, the consultants have been, like I said, either on site or working remotely from home, something like that. Um, when COVID hit, I mean, obviously, you know, everybody was home <laughs> and we learned that uh, even the customers learned that, hey, we can we can get this done without people being on site. So uh, and that's what Microsoft has done. We've really got this hybrid model of, you know, let's let's, you know, if 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 you're in a location where there's an office, then, you know, how many days a week can you be on site? Like I'm 100 percent remote in my in my current role and in my previous role as a manager. I'm 100 percent remote, always have been. Um, because my people are, are distributed across, um, some, some are in Las Colinas, some are in Charlotte, North Carolina, and then there's a smattering in those areas of, uh, you know, people that live too far away from the office to actually, you know, come in unless there's a special occasion. So it really kind of depends on the role, but what I've seen, uh, in Microsoft with services, what we call services and now support is pretty much everybody is, is remote for the most part, um, you know, unless they decide they want to come into the office for some reason, but there's really not a need for it. But then there are like if you go up to Seattle, you know, Redmond, um, you know, there's there's a bigger push for people to be in the office up there because it's a different it's a completely different kind of work environment, different, different needs, different things that are, you know, it, it's hard to be a uh, in some roles and not have that face time. Regarding people, I know it's been a while since you've interviewed at Microsoft, but I'm wondering if you have interviewed other people, if you could kind of give a glimpse into the interview process for your department. Like a lot of places nowadays are doing multi-interviews. Some places are doing like I had a product manager from Meta on a few months ago and he went through seven interviews. Right. And I think it's very typical now, even for like a small startup that has no HR team, they're doing like four interviews. Right. And so wondering for those people that are thinking about, well, maybe Microsoft might be it. Uh, they definitely want to get in there. What does a what does a typical interview process look like? I'll take you back to the days when I was first coming into Microsoft. I had I had a I had an HR interview. I had two tech interviews. And then I are on the phone tech interviews. And then I had an in-person interview where I interviewed with about three people. So that was one, two, three, four, five, six, roughly about six, six interviews. Um, and then whenever I, ironically, when I moved to the account manager role, um, I didn't have to actually interview with that one. And I think it's because 
the customer was a customer that I had worked with for a long time, uh, even before Microsoft. Uh, they're in San Antonio and they wanted someone that was local to San Antonio. So I, I got lucky in that regard. I didn't have to actually interview for that one. Um, and then when I moved to the my first people manager role, I did have to interview for that one. And that was that was three interviews only. But that's because I'm an internal candidate. So if you're an internal candidate, uh, you typically only have to interview what we call finals day. And that's usually about three, three interviews. And then when I came to the so let me just back up a little bit. Back in July this the, this year, I was actually um, my there was a big restructure in the org that I was in and my position along with 1800 others were eliminated. And so I was in scramble mode for a couple of months and I managed to you know land the role that I'm in right now. And back in back in uh, August. So I started that in August, but I did have to interview for that one as well. So I had but I had what did I have? I only had two interviews for that one. And again, that's, you know, because I'm an internal candidate. If you're an external candidate and I've, I've done lots of interviews, you know, as a manager, uh, if you're an external candidate, typically you're going to get that HR interview. So they're going to just, you know, sort of scope you and, you know, do is your resume and what you say really match up? You know, are you are you potentially a fit for the role for Microsoft, really, at that level? And then you'll have uh, a couple of tech interviews um, and then you'll get that finals day. If you make it that far, you'll have that finals day interview. And that's uh, typically, we have two tech interviews and one at one manager interview. So you'll have three interviews on finals day where you have uh, you're interviewing with a couple of technical folks and then with a manager. So and I don't I don't I don't analyze technical skills anymore. Like I said, I analyze soft skills and, you know, is this person a fit? Maybe not for this. role. It doesn't have to be for this role. One of the things that we do in Microsoft is if you apply for a role and you don't really match up to it based on your skill sets or whatever, but we think that you, you know, you ha- you embody all these other area, these other uh, attributes of Microsoft. You'd be a good fit. You just need to learn some tech. Then, you know, you could potentially get hired anyways. You just may not be for that particular job. We would refer you to another manager for, hey, we think this guy or this girl would be a good fit in your in your org. So they would get interviewed over there. Brilliant. With that specifically, when, uh, you know, if you don't think that they're going to be a good fit here, but they may be a good fit there, is that also for external candidates as well? Or is it just for, no, that that's is? external. That, 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 when I was referring to, that's external candidates. Oh, that was external. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. We're looking for people who, you know, even if you don't fit a particular role, but you could be, you know, a good fit for Microsoft overall, you know, maybe instead of being a, field engineer or a consultant, maybe you'd be a good account manager, you know, or maybe you'd be a good uh, architect or something like that. Uh, it just kind of depends on, you know, how did, how did you interview? If you interview well, then, you know, cause really, you know, when you, when you're coming into any company, you know, you want to make sure that you're a good fit to the team because, you know, you got to work with these people. I wanted to ask you just because you've been in the industry for so long and you work at a very large company, Right now, there's a lot of tech layoffs and hi- hiring freezes going on, right? Like, it's almost like the whole tech industry is just like coming, crumbling down, it seems like. And so, one of the biggest questions, one of the most frequently asked questions that we get right now is like, I am thinking about making this transition into tech, and it could be IT. Uh, data analytics, whatever it is, you know, uh, but I'm really concerned about all of these tech layoffs and all of these hiring freezes going on there. I don't know 
if there's like longevity in these roles or the viability of, of the industry in general. I was wondering if you had an opinion uh, on what you think the outlook for, you know, tech and for hiring is, you know, within the short and long-term future. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be very much a pure speculation, but, um, you know, I think there's definitely still jobs out there, you know, and, you know, you can, there's always going to be jobs. There's always going to be little companies hiring and things like that. So, uh, what I would, my recommendation to someone that's looking to break into tech would be, you know, if that's really what you want to do, then prepare yourself, you know, get your certifications. Um, this might be a good time to do some, some volunteer work, you know, with uh, some type of an organization to kind of get some experience, create that network, that type of thing. Um, because, you know, we're, in, we're obviously we're in a downturn. Um, it's not going to last forever. Um, you know, there's, there's going to be an upturn at some point. Um, but what I what I found when I was you know doing my own job search a couple months ago was there's a lot of people hiring you know even though we're in a downturn there, there's still a lot of consulting companies that are still hiring um, so you know the big you know the, all you see really are the really big companies the Metas the Googles the Microsoft you know they're they're the ones that really bought, you know just really bloomed in uh, COVID because of you know the work, what was needed but uh, those smaller companies you know seems like they didn't they didn't, you know, blow up as much as a, you know, like Meta just laid off 11,000 people. Part of that was because of, you know, they just, they hired all these people. We did the same thing. Microsoft did the same thing. We, we hired a whole bunch of people. Um, and, uh, you know, now we're having to shed some of that. And, uh, but I think eventually it, it'll, it'll turn back, I think. Um, but, uh, yeah, the market's going to be a little bit flooded for a while, I think. I agree with you completely. I think that, Right now is a perfect time for people to exactly what you said, like kind of sharpen your weapons or sharpen your skills, you know, prepare yourself for your future roles. And as you said, like smaller companies are still out there uh, hiring. One of the things I was just talking to um, the chief economist, a zip recruiter, and, you know, we were talking about the different industries that are seeing, you know, declines and then increases. And as what the job report said, you know, tech is experiencing decline. And then all the things that were affected by COVID, you know, by shutting down are seeing increases. So hospitality, you know, construction, things like things of that nature. And, you know, one of the things that I haven't spoken about on this podcast yet, I think uh, it's good for those listeners out there is if you want to work in tech, you don't have to work at a quote unquote tech company, Like you can go and be a service now administrator, Salesforce administrator at a construction company there. You can go to one of these burgeoning industries. If uh, the hotel laid off all of their people, but now they're higher. Now people are coming back to the workforce. People are starting to travel again. They're going to need people to upkeep their Salesforce instance. And so get that Salesforce admin and learn what you're doing and then go apply to roles at, in those industries. And then when the tech, when it comes back around and if you want to make the transition into the, you know, the fang companies into Microsoft, then you're, you've got one to two years underneath your belt and now you can go do it. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, you've, you've had a little time to build that network. Uh, you know, I, I have two very good friends here in San Antonio that are both in tech and they both work for a constraint. Ironically, you said construction and they work for a construction company here in San Antonio. One's a project manager and the other was a cyber guy. And they've been there for for years. But it's just a it's just a small construction company. But, yeah, it, it doesn't have to be the big mothership to, uh, you know, unless that's where you want to go. And, you just you know, that's just a matter of preparing and move, making your way that way. <laughs> yeah, definitely. When. People starting out now, we kind of touched on networking a bunch in the periphery, but we didn't get to the meat and potatoes of it. When building your network, when you don't have one, what is what are some tips for people out there? Like, there, I'll tell you what happened for me. Like, I was a college grad. I went to go work at a regional bank. Hated it. I was a, basically a monkey with a headset. And I, yeah, I, it was terrible. Did it for a year. I never stopped bartending. So I just quit, went full-time to bartending again. And I was just stuck and I didn't know, I knew that I wanted to get off my feet for 10 hours a shift, even though I was making good money, but I just didn't know anybody else that was doing it. And a lot of people that are listening to that, this, that's their, that's their life story right now. Like a lot of people are listening to this while they're out doing their landscaping job or, you know, they're driving to their job, which they hate and they can't even figure out where do I start building a network? Well, my first recommendation would be to get on LinkedIn, uh, and then start, start getting yourself, um, attached to groups within, uh, within LinkedIn that are in the industry that you want to go into. You know, because there's just hundreds of thousands of groups out there that you can you can, you know, become a part of and just, you know, you'll begin to, you know, you'll begin to make connections that way. Uh, the other thing is locally look for groups that meet, uh, you know, in the in the industry you're looking to go into. Like here in San Antonio, there are quite a few uh, groups, you know, for various technologies that uh, that meet You know, before COVID. It was it was quite a bit. Um, not as familiar with it now and after since we're just coming out of COVID. But prior to that, I mean, this this one place that I used to frequent, uh, they always they had monthly they had a monthly SharePoint forum there. And uh, there was always about 100 people in that room. So, you know, find, you know, and I'm just speaking from tech, but I'm sure you, any industry you look at, you know, real estate or banking or whatever. I'm sure there's groups that you can get into in your local uh, local area that, uh, you know, where you can go in and just start making friends. <laughs> That's really what it comes down to, just making contacts. Um, I forget the name. There's an, there's an app that I was, I had joined a long time ago. I think it's called meetup and, uh, you could go in and you could search for your area for different, uh, different types of industries that you wanted to, you know, and just go to a, go to a meeting and uh, get to know people that way. So that, that's where I would, I would start, uh, is LinkedIn and then just finding those groups and just starting to build that network that way. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, the local aspect of that I think is very underrated. And the reason why is because everybody, everybody says to get on LinkedIn, right? And that, that's great advice because everybody is on LinkedIn and right. Like LinkedIn has cornered the market on white collar professional networking. Like they, cor they cornered the market on it. Um, and so if you want to get a, you know, a, a computer job, if you want to sit down in a chair in an air conditioned room, LinkedIn is where you should be in order to do it. But I think a lot of people discount locally and they're just like, well, if I do it locally, then that doesn't scale. 
right? Like I can only network with the hundred people that are at that event at that one time. But I think that that's a mistake because at those events or at this, you know, dinner or whatever it is that you're going to go to at this meetup, you can have more intimate connections with these people. And you're, there's, there's something to be said for meeting people, you know, face to face, belly to belly. And where you can interface and you can say, this is what I'm trying to do without all the noise. Like I can tell you my life story. It would like, this is a good example. You and I are just here having this conversation and I'm kind of telling you a little bit myself. You're telling me a little bit about yourself. And if this was a professional networking thing, I could tell you, Hey, Jerry, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, a, a role at Microsoft or in tech, you know, this is, these are my skill sets, yada, yada, yada. And this is what I'm looking for. And then you ha- heard that in a very low noise environment. And then you can keep that in the back of your mind. And, you know, when a role opens up, you know, you'll reach out to me or, you know, be, Hey, just send me an email. Like I, I thought about you. I think, uh, I think with, you know, when you think about the local people, you know, if there's a hundred people there, how many contacts do they have? You know? So if you meet, if you meet and have good conversations with five people and, they know 10 other people in that same industry. And like you said, you know, if y'all have a good conversation, make a connection, you know, maybe they don't have a specific role or job that they can refer you to, but maybe somebody in their network says, Hey, we're looking for X, Y, and Z. And they think of you and they're like, Hey, you might want to check this guy out. So, you know, there's, there's definitely, it's, it's just exponentially growing if you, if you look at it from that perspective. So you gotta, gotta think a little wider. Definitely. And for those listening, we've said it multiple times on this podcast, but it's not, it's been proven that it's not your first degree connections that get you your jobs. It's actually exactly what you said. It's the, the people, the friends of the friends that, that get you your, your next, your next job. The one last thing on the, uh, local aspect of it is if you don't have a group out there, like say you wanted to say you live in a small town and you're like, uh, you're trying to look for the tech people living in Johnsonville, wherever you're living. And you don't, you don't find it. You don't know if that group exists. One of the best things that you could do is you could just create that group. Like you can be the head of that group. You could go to Facebook and just start a quick Facebook groups and just start DMing people that, you know, be like, uh, if you work in tech or if you want to work in tech and you live in this area, here you go. And that's a great way to be a, what they call a connector, somebody that connects people to one another and that you're going to see exponential growth of your, uh, network as well, but it also forces you, uh, it's kind of an accountability thing where it kind of forces you, (laughs) you're like, uh, every once a month, we're going to have this, this meetup. And then on the 15th of every month, and then there's, you're bound to have that day that you're just not going to want to do it, but you run the whole thing. And you're like, man, and it's like, I guess I kind of have to go. I kind of committed to it. And so, yeah, so that's just for those people listening, it's a local is definitely underrated, I think. And I think, um, for networking and, and learning what other people do and, and the different possibilities out there. I think you make a really good point about the smaller towns. Cause I, you know, I grew up in a real small town here in Texas and 
Um, you know, I think if I were still living in that small town, what would, you know, what, how would I do that? And I think what you just talked about was, was perfect. You know, just starting that group yourself, you know, maybe it's, maybe some of it's, you know, virtual to, to get started, but, uh, you know, there's gotta be two or three other people who have a similar mindset to you. And even if you're in a small town, totally, totally. And then, uh, also you could also do like, uh, reddit or there's a bunch of discord groups uh for all those for all those people those are really good places to meet like-minded people because what i found the challenge is is when you're in that trudge right like i was started work at six i didn't get off till two in the morning i didn't know anybody that wanted to better their life i didn't know anybody that wanted to get out of it right everybody at, after two o'clock, the bars in Hawaii, they close at four. So we would all go to the next bar, right? Like we closed down ours and then we would just go to the next bar and we'd be out till four or five in the morning and then rinse, repeat and do it again. And it's a vicious cycle that, you know, like, how do I get out of it? And meeting like-minded people and, you know, getting a support group is something that you know, has helped me. One of the things that I wanted to ask you about, and we didn't really cover it is, have you ever had like a mentor in your life? Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's huge. Uh, you know, I would highly recommend, you know, getting a mentor, not only a mentor, but a coach, uh, you know, a mentor is somebody that can, you know, take you, you know, because they've been there, they know what, they know how to get there, what they're going through, what you're going to go through. And a coach kind of helps you, you know, kind of, kind of, uh, like the mentor tells you how to get there. A coach helps you kind of dig into what is it you really want to do and how do you how do you get there? You know, how do you see yourself getting there? So but yeah, definitely a mentor. Um, we're big on that in Microsoft, having mentors and things like that, because and I, you know, I, I would also say that, you know, one of the things I did not do well early in my career was plan for my career by having a mentor and by having a, a, a development plan. And, uh, you know, I think if I had had a little bit more intentionality, I would have gotten to some places sooner, uh, than what I did. Everybody's on their own journey. You know, we, I think, I think there's some fate involved in it, but, uh, I think that, uh, you know, having, having a more intentional focus on what you want to do, thinking what, what do I want to do in 10 years, you know, where do I see myself? And then just kind of backtracking from there, but having a mentor definitely will, will help that. There's something to be said about that starting at the end and then solving the problem backwards, right? Like that's how I prefer to solve problems or like if I see somewhere, it just helps to have a goal, right? Like even if we're, even if you don't end up doing that goal, but just having some intentionality, right? So exactly what you said, 10 years from now, I, I remember when I used to do my 10 year planning, like I, I did that in like high school and stuff. I, I thought that I would be, you know, working in finance right now and, uh, you know, whatever else that I thought I would be. I think I thought I was going to be a doctor or, or something like that. I never thought that I would be like sitting here talking to you for a living. Right. But if you just have a little bit of intentionality and you're okay and you're willing to take the little offshoots of that, you know, everything's going to, everything's going to work out and everything's going to be okay. Yeah. One of the, uh, I, I listened to a guy in Microsoft, he's a uh, pretty high up in the company and he did a, he came to our organization and did a talk on career development and, uh, you know, he, he kind of took us through how, you know, what he did, what his story was. But what really stood out to me was he said, there's three people that you need, you know, in your career. You need a mentor, you need a coach and you need an advocate. And, uh, you know, we talked about mentor and coach. 
But an advocate is somebody that can get into rooms that you can't that can bring your name up. So let's say your advocate is a senior leader of sorts and they're in a meeting and they're you know planning for roles. They're planning for rollouts of different things. And, you know, you've you've let people know what you're what you want to do. And that advocate's like, hey, you know, uh, Joe said he, you know, he'd be interested in doing something like that. Why don't we check him out? But that's somebody that can get your name out there. So that's one of those three people. And I think that's a very cool thing to look at. I've never heard that before. And that makes so much sense. The advocate portion of that is so important. I've never heard it put that way, but I'll just speak from personal experience having an advocate for you to speak exactly as you said on your behalf and to have your name in the back of their mind is extremely powerful. And the only way that you're going to get there though, is by doing things in public. Exactly. Kind of what you said is letting that person or a group of people know that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm Ryan. I, run the degree free podcast. I help people get the work they want without a college degree. And like, unless now people know that and they can, whenever they have people that, that are struggling to make career transitions or, you know, they're just like, Oh, I know, I know a guy and they'll forward them my way. And it's the same thing in your career. You don't have to do something as like esoteric as that, but you just be like, you know, I'm, Tina and I work in IT or I, I help companies, uh, tidy up their Salesforce implementation. And then, and then when they're in the room, people are, they'll be like, Oh, I know Tina, Tina can do it. Yeah. One of the, one of the cool stories he told in that, in that session was that, uh, he had made it known that he, what he really wanted to do with his career and he was willing to go wherever was, he was needed. And at the time, you know, when there was they were they were planning for some, uh, uh, you know, rolling out a, a new office or something like that overseas in Europe. Um, you know, he had said, look, I, I'm, I'll do that. And so whenever that started happening, uh, his name came up and uh, he ended up going and took his family and got to spend a few years over in Europe and, you know, work for Microsoft. And then he eventually came back to the States. But, you know, it's because he had put it out there that, you know, he was willing to do those kind of things in order to further his career. Awesome. I did want to spend a little bit of time talking about your future and about, you know, the bit, the career transition that you're planning as far as, you know, uh, being a coach and, you know, a lot of people are, this podcast is about, you know, transitions and about changing careers. And for people that are in a similar position that have, you know, a wealth of knowledge and they are very skilled at what they do and are trying to do the same thing, transition into a more of a coaching role. How do you see yourself doing it? How, how are you going to accomplish that? Yeah. So a couple of years ago, um, I got a coach. I, I, you know, had somebody came into San Antonio and did a talk and uh, I really liked what they said. So I had a couple of conversations with them and I hired them to coach me and they coached me for about a year and they actually helped me get to that first people manager role. Um, but what I really liked about that is that I'd, I'd had thoughts of, of doing coaching for a long time. I just didn't. I thought you had to have you know all this expertise, and I learned that that's not true. Um, so what I did is I ended up just uh, you know putting the money into myself, and I went to a uh, a coaching school, <laughs> the Institute for Professional Excellence in Coaching, and uh, so I went through their their courses about a year long, and uh, you know got some certifications in that, and 
you know, and with all the networking that goes along in that, you know, I obviously I still have my Microsoft job and that's my bread and butter and that's where I'm focused. But, uh, you know, I just started letting people know that, um, you know, I've got this coaching business and, you know, maybe give a complimentary session and see if coaching is for them. And uh, so, I've, you know, I've been able to grab a few clients like that. So for me, it's a matter of I'm kind of slow rolling that. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm also now I'm looking at, you know, how do I get into speaking? You know, how do I get gigs speaking in different places and learning, you know, starting at little schools or starting at a small a charity event, you know, some doing some free stuff. And so for me, it's, you know, luckily I have the ability and privilege to be able to just work my job as I, as I see it. Uh, and then, you know, still work on that, that side business, uh, you know, after hours and on the weekends and that kind of thing. So that, for me, that's where the transition is going to happen. And, uh, I am ramping it up a little bit now just because, you know, the tech world is a little scary right now. I'll be honest. I think it's like that for everybody, though, right? It's not just tech. It's uh, it's all over the place. But uh, that's that's where I really see myself going uh, in the next few years is um, moving into a full time coaching, um, you know, and uh, doing some speaking and things like that. And I've got an idea for a book. I don't know if that'll ever come out, but, uh, you know, it, it'd be interesting for those people that are curious about coaching in general, like about hiring a coach, about what to look for in a coach what are some tips one could you explain like i've never had a coach right i've, I've, I've never hired one i wouldn't be opposed i wouldn't be opposed to it i don't know what yeah. what a coach would do okay you know yeah. and what it looks like yeah for sure um so yeah, just kind of give you a few uh things to think about so uh, a therapist is somebody that works with someone and tries to help them understand trauma understand things about them that's happened in the past right so that's therapy and that's also, you know, licensing and all that sort of thing. Um, and then you've got the mentor consultant, you know, the mentor and the consultant, the mentor is going to help you get where you're going to go because they've been there and they know what it's like. The consultant is somebody that's going to come in and say they have they already have an agenda. You know, like if, if I'm a consultant and you hire me to roll out your next technology, I've already got the blueprint. I've already got how we do this, all that sort of stuff. I just come in, we overlay it into your network and whatever we're going to do. And then we start deploying. Uh, a coach says, you know, let's say that somebody comes out of therapy and they've, they've dealt with all their trauma and now they want to move forward. You know, so a coach is somebody that comes in and uses we use energy leadership um, within IPEC uh, Institute for Professional Excellence in Coaching. Uh, and we help people, you know, kind of deal with these internal blockers, you know, like uh, we call this thing, the gremlin. Somebody, you know, I'm just not good enough. I don't have enough education. I'm not pretty enough. You know, we help people kind of overcome that. And, you know, help them realize that, you know, why are you telling yourself that? That's an internal dialogue that you have. So let's let's get past that. Um, you know, we just kind of help people help people come up with a plan to get where they want to go next. And, you know, for I'll just give you my own example was my coach. You know, we met uh, about once a month and, uh, you know, he would just come in and he would just ask a whole lot of really good questions, which made me really dig in and try to understand, OK, that's you know, that that's what this means to me. And this is how I want to do it. Because what I've found in coaching is that nine times out of 10, people have the answer within themselves. They just need somebody to help them get it out. And that's what coaching does. That's amazing. You know, one of the things like the best job search advice that I can give anybody. And I, I really mean it, even though I've told people this and they're just like, this is BS, but it's confidence. And that confidence stems 
what I found from your self-talk and how and how you relate to exactly what you what you called gremlins you know like and i'll just speak for myself like i'll beat myself up all day about you know not not being qualified for this or not being qualified for that and it's literally stopped me from doing the simplest things like it has stopped me from hitting that apply button right it, it, it has stopped me from like my my boss uh you know, ask me to do this extra task. And it's like, I know that it's going to take like 20 hours of, you know, of basically overtime, but I'm just like, whatever, I guess I, I like this is actually a real life example. Like I, I was working in banking and, uh, my, my counterpart called in sick and at five forty-five on a Friday night, um, you know, we get off at six on Fridays. Uh, my boss came to me with a stack of paperwork. Boom. Do do this, and you know, and I'll just like, I didn't have the the confidence to just be like, whoa, that's like my counterpart's work. I'll do it, but I can just do it on Monday, maybe. You know what I mean? Like I'm a, I'm a, but I and st- I ended up staying there till like nine o'clock. Didn't get paid extra to do it, right? And but the I'll, I'll like fumble, I'll fumble interviews because I'm just not confident. And so I, I think that's really valuable to have a to have somebody there that can. Uh, like as you said, just kind of pull it, just pull it out of you. Yeah, we we talk about gremlins, we talk about internal blockers, uh, you know, assumptions, limiting beliefs. Limiting beliefs is huge. That's something that I've dealt with. You know, a good part of my life is you know telling myself that uh, you know I'm I don't I'm not good enough. I don't I can never get out of this little town I'm in, and you know I'm going to end up working at the gas station or Seven Eleven or whatever, and that's going to be my life. You know, uh, but uh, you know it. Getting outside of that is is so important and so key because otherwise you risk being stuck somewhere, you know, just living a life that you didn't want to live. Awesome. Jerry, I don't want to take up your whole day. I did have a couple of questions though before we go. The first one, we we kind of touched on um, the books for professional development, but I was wondering if you had any other books or resources to point people towards for anything that we've talked about today, whether, whether it's about it or becoming more technical, soft skills, coaching. Yeah. A book that immediately jumps to mind is a book called atomic habits. And uh, it's about getting 1% better. Um, you know, this is making small incremental changes, you know, in your day to day that, uh, if you do that over the course of a, a long period, you can really, you know, increase your, you know, your efficiency, your productivity, your output, which, you know, results in, you know, hopefully more money, uh, promotions, that type of thing. I'm actually expecting a book today, Amplify Your Influence. And uh, it's uh, written by a guy named Rene Rodriguez. And I've saw you know, my guilty pleasure is TikTok. And uh, so I, I saw him on TikTok and I was like, wow, that's a really good book, you know, and so, and so he talks to you about how to be an influencer. And that's really, you know, I think about books that help me Help me to be a leader if I'm not in a leadership role, you know, because that's where that's where real leadership comes in is whenever you can lead and influence from not a position of authority. Right. So um, I man. So Atomic Habits, that book, um, I would really reference any of John Maxwell's leadership books. He's got so many. Um, the 21 Irrefutable Laws of, of Leadership. That was a really good one. Uh, he's got uh, Leadership 360 which is, again, goes into, you know, figuring out how to lead without being in a leadership role. <clears throat> so those are those are a few good ones that that jump to mind. I've, I've got 
tons of books. I just can't think of the titles off the top of my head. No worries. No worries. You know, that's so interesting what you said, leading when uh, not in a position or when not in a leadership position or when you don't have any power, basically. That is something that's not the first time that that sentence has come up on this podcast. And I agree with that so much. Like uh, learning, I, I think that that can really affect, you know, your cur- your current state at your current job. So the trajectory of your career, like crazy, as you said, just kind of raising the influence that you that you have currently. Brendan Burchard's got another uh, another good book. I can't think. I think it's. Um, I can't think of the name of it. Look up Brendan Burchard. He's got a he's got a really good book. I read it probably two years ago, and it's a book about uh, you know basically just having powerful habits that uh, help you you know help you move forward. So he's a, he's a good guy to, to look at from a reading perspective. Definitely. And I'll put links to all of that uh, in our show notes for everybody listening to griefree.co slash podcast. And yes, I know that Jerry, I know that you gave a little plug earlier to your LinkedIn. Um, anywhere else that people could go to find more about you, to follow along in your career, just to say hi. LinkedIn is pretty much it. I mean, I'm on Facebook, but that I don't, I don't get on Facebook a whole lot. It's, and that's more about friends, family, and fun. But LinkedIn is where I, I do most of my professional stuff. And, you know, I'll, uh, as I, as I kind of grow my, my business from, from coaching, uh, I'll expect to have a presence, uh, a little bit more, uh, credible than what I have today. So <laughs> that's kind of where I'm at with it. Perfect. Perfect. And like I said, links to everything that we talked about, guys, will be in our show notes, degreefree.co slash podcast. Jerry, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I really, really enjoyed our conversation. I think that a lot of people get some value out of this. I hope so. Uh, It was definitely a great conversation. Thank you for a lot of great questions. (laughs) All right. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Once again, if you haven't already, go to LinkedIn and connect with me. Just search Ryan Maruyama, M-A-R-U-Y-A-M-A. You can find links to everything that we talked about at degreefree.co slash Jerry Condra. And last but not least, please review the podcast and share it with a friend. Until next time, guys. Aloha.